0: sad about the internet
1: the shit is money it's like it's like in farming
0: <laughs> oh in, is it
1: <laughs> in in rural areas you drive past some place a dairy or a feedlot or something and instead of of reacting with the appropriate level of disgust <laughs> you just say smells like
0: money <laughs> even if it's not your money <laughs> it smells like money sure yeah sadly i guess that's fair anyway um how are you <laughs>
1: i'm good i'm good i had a gig last night in salem oregon oh. of boone's treasury yeah and it was a cold night in oregon um holiday season people are at parties they're not really going out but there was a, a an okay crowd um but we played really good. Yeah? You know, it feels good <laughs> to play well, you know? Especially when you've got an ensemble where kind of everybody has to be playing well for for it to sound good at all. Yeah. Like if four people sound really good and one person is slacking off, then it doesn't sound good, you know? And uh, everybody really played really well and it just was meshed and... I have a little bit of a cold, so I was worried I wasn't going to be able to sing. But I think that made sort of dampened my dampened my voice a little bit, which can be a little grating
0: uh-huh.
1: when I sing. And uh, you know, played all right. We were in, in a cramped little corner, so I was it, it couldn't really move around very much, and I had to lean against the wall. <laughs> I, never play, I never played, never done a performance where you get to lean. It's actually kind of
0: nice. You know?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know if it looks good. It's sort of like playing in shorts or something. <laughs> but uh, but Maya, you
0: know. uh, when my last band, uh, we were playing through an era when our uh, lead guitarist Lauren had um, she'd had a knee injury from when she played from playing soccer as a kid, and decided it was finally time to just get it taken care of. So she had knee surgery, and it was supposed to be. Um, supposed to be real, real quick outpatient, fast recovery type of thing. It was a very simple procedure, but they fucked it up, and she ended up, um, she ended up with an infection and had to have more treatments, and ended up having to like limp around for months. Basically, in the end, everything was fine, and now she's perfectly healthy. But um, for a while there her life was very inconvenient because of this knee injury. So we had, we had gigs. So you're like, no, I'm going to play him. I'm going to play him. So we set up a chair on the stage and she had her leg stuck out, like propped up on Mm a, you know, propped up on a, I don't even remember what it was, some kind of piece of, piece of stray gear. And uh, she put on sunglasses and looked like a 90 year old blues man.
1: <laughs> been
0: brought out for the folk festival. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I I uh I think the best show we ever played we played to only about twelve people and it was um it was at uh I might have talked about it on the podcast when it happened, but it was at, at Barnes Hall at Cornell, which is the best sounding room I have ever been in. Like just walking into it, you just feel the acoustic beauty of this space, Um, and I've seen many concerts there over the years. It's been um, a lot of um, live jazz albums for decades have been recorded there, including a few that I'm I'm particularly fond of. So it was really, when I had the opportunity to actually play on that stage, I was really excited. I was part of a literature and music thing, but the, the event was poorly, I was not in charge of of this event, it was badly uh, organized and it was badly publicized. Um, and it was at the same time as another more popular event. And uh, it became clear as the day grew sooner that just nobody was going to show up. Um, and so we're like, whatever. <laughs> and we just got up on that stage and killed it. We only played like five songs, but. It was like every song was perfect. All the harmonies were perfect. We could hear each other on the stage. Um, there was just enough space. There wasn't so much space that we, were, we felt we were too far apart, but there was enough space for each of us to move around a little bit. And then when we did draw closer together, it was like it was purposeful. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like everything, everything was perfect. The mood was perfect. Everyone sang great. Everyone played well. Um, and nobody heard it. And we just went home happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah You know that
1: Amy Mann song "I've had it." mm-hmm I think it, it, uh, it captures that, although it, it gives it a melancholy twist, which is, oh, it, it all came together, and so what? But there's a before you get to that final part of it, there's a sense of it all came together. yeah, and how, how nice for it all to come
0: together. Yeah oh. um, I'm going link to that uh, link to that in the notes. that's a good song. It's a really good song. I love Amy Man. Mm-hmm. She's very good at music.
1: She should look into it. <laughs> Have you thought about a career she in build music? A career in it. Yeah. <laughs> this came. Yeah. My my friend's hey, uh, it's the final th- album of Truck Stop Love. It looks great. And my friend John Sholly um, did the design. Looks good. Looks good. What's
0: it called can't hear design.
1: it can't hear it Truck stop love 1991 to 1994 and uh I, got, I, wrote, I had the pleasure of writing the liner notes and like a little guide to each song.
0: Oh man, that's great. It was fun
1: to do. It was mastered by uh, it was all remastered or it had never been mastered. It was mastered you know 25 years later by Cliff Skirlock. Uh, who's a uh, musician from Kansas who played with the Flaming Lips for a long time mm-hmm. and now is playing with some outfit in Wales um so he made this and it sounds really good yeah.
0: <laughs> i've got you the wanna- got it up on the screen here i i uh, remember fondly the first two records both of mm-hmm. which i both of which i have yeah
1: um a little, little Kansas label called Sight Records put this out um, and one of the, one of the things that kept them from uh, making a career in it was uh, sort of late adolescent drinking problems,
0: mm.
1: like early twenties drinking.
0: And, <laughs> that's, that's late adolescent.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, being anxious, like you would know, have a big show, like you know, somebody would be there who might you know have the power to change their lives, and they'd be anxious about it and would respond to that anxiety by drinking too much I remember yeah. once the, the lead singer had a um, had broken his ankle or something like that and had to sit in a chair for the performance um, and still was too drunk to sit in a chair oh. he kept falling out of the chair wow the chair already seems like a pretty big accommodation <laughs> yeah, it really
0: does at some Tommy Stinson level uh, it was it was impressive yeah, that's that's uh that's something. Yeah, they still sounded good. So, um, are they? You know, the Dead Milkmen were apart for I don't know, decade and a half, and uh, they they got together for a reunion show and just uh, just decided to straight up reunite, and now have been putting out records and touring, and sound yeah. great. Uh, any chance that Truck Stop Love is going to do the same? I guess they have less of a built-in audience than the Milkmen do, but they have they have a they have a, a good audience.
1: I don't know what they're I don't know if they will. I think they had a, a great time. Yeah. And uh showed that they could still do it and sound good. Um and the records sold uh, far beyond their expectations. Uh they played three shows. I hope they do. Um they're all they all play in their own things. Um main guy Rich Yargis has a outfit up in he and uh Jim Kriego was in it. They play in a, a band up in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Moline plays. They, they're all they're all playing. So re, be, reuniting as Truck Stop Love wouldn't be, you know, dusting off the old guitar. You yeah, know, they've been they've they haven't given up playing. They just gave up that ensemble. Sure, but but you know, there's something special about the the band that you were in when you started.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Your you're, uh, the, the
1: those soldiers. Even if you don't like each other, that was the battalion. Yeah. yeah. No deserters. I don't like deserters.
0: <laughs> I said this is the, the only the only band of the past, aside from my re- most recent band, the, my two previous bands of any note had toxic personalities in them that would prevent me from wanting to reunite with them. Well, it doesn't really matter because we'd none, we didn't have any fans. No, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm the toxic personality, Ed.
1: No, John.
0: Maybe, uh, you know, you know what they say. You know, if ev- you were Everyone around you is an asshole.
1: Yeah. If you were a toxic personality, I wouldn't like you. Aw, buddy. <laughs> or I might have it first, but not... For twenty years or
0: something—that's <laughs> true. You've had lots of opportunities to realize that I am terrible, and yeah, you've, not, have jumped you've not taken them. Ship the HMS JRL. I talked about my Thanksgiving activities without actually talking about Thanksgiving dinner, and I wonder if we need to do that, or if it's just like all—they were just like all the other ones. Well, mine was
1: mine was delightful, but. Um, not uh it was it was it was an excellent thanksgiving the food was great the company was great um, uh, there was no 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 dramatic deviations from the norm okay except for except for it being you know particularly delicious mm-hmm. and cozy and cozy so not th- not much to say about it
0: yeah same here <laughs> yeah. um i i ate at uh ate at my girlfriend's parents' place, and they're very fond of meat. They made a lot of meat, oh, different kinds of meat. Delicious potatoes, uh, mm-hmm. tasty uh, puff pastry hors d'oeuvres. Nice. Um, a Fairly traditional meal, and uh, totally satisfying. Good company, good times. Mm-hmm. So, um, eating a lot of fennel lately things
1: seasoned with fennel no, or the fennel
0: bulb? The fennel itself? bulb, which I have to confess, I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah. Until I only knew about fennel seed. Right. Um, which w- I would occasionally use sparingly in my cooking. But I didn't even know the fennel bulb was a was something you could just go to the store and buy. Um, started yeah. seeing people using it on Top Chef. Mm. Um and uh, my friend Adam made a sort of grain bowl for for mm-hmm. uh, for a bunch of us once at his place uh, that involved a bunch of a uh, bunch of fennel. And he I think mm-hmm. he he might have he might have uh, broiled it or roasted it or something. But I I've just been frying it up in a pan so it gets soft with a little crispy on the outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's good eating. It's good stuff. Sort of stir fry ish Yeah. It's yeah. Like yeah. Deluxe celery or something.
1: Deluxe Celery. Yeah. Uh, it is great. Here's something you can get in Portland. Yeah? Pickled fennel. Because of course you can.
0: Of course you can.
1: And it's good. A little bit is good. A little sliver of it.
0: Well, you can, can pickle that stuff at home. Yeah. Pickling's no big deal.
1: Yeah. I've never done it. <laughs>
0: I, I you say as as if it's a as if it's a, a drug.
1: I was thinking what's yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I never done it. I'm kinda scared too. Yeah. yeah. I remember the night that Larry freaked out on pickled fennel. <laughs> to talk him down from the school roof.
0: <laughs> Thought he could fly. Yeah, that's what happens. Larry couldn't fly. <laughs> no. Nope. Sorry, Larry. He's
1: a he's a pilot now though. He's a pilot. Yeah.
0: You just you just created a, a New Yorker story in mm-hmm. seconds. Yeah.
1: That's what I do, John.
0: Yeah. That's what I do. There's a story in the current New Yorker that everyone on the internet's all exercised about. Um It's okay it's I'm not going to say much about it. It's okay. It's about a uh, b- a woman's bad date with a with a crummy guy. Mm-hmm. But uh there's this moment where they they go over to the guy's apartment and uh He's got a lot of vinyl LPs, <laughs> and I realize that that is now—that's now a signifier of uh, male self-absorption—is a collection mm-hmm. of vinyl LPs. Yeah, it's no excuse not to collect them, but no, no, and you, but don't don't show them off. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> I, will, I will discreetly play one on my on my stereo every now and then. That's that's my plan. It's sort of like the way on a, a Prairie Home Companion you, the you know they he would he would just uh mention expensive lattes as a like a, a running joke sure. that, yeah. you know. Yeah.
1: Um when I go into somebody's house and they have a record player that they're yeah. using as their main uh you know as as a main audio source. sure. Um I often find and I f- I think this is very reasonable. They have uh, the record player and they've got maybe 10 records sitting near it. Mm-hmm. And and that seems to be all the records they have. Oh. And that seems to be a good way to handle it instead of here is my library. <laughs> Here's my Bodleian of of the entire discography of everything <laughs> that I have repurchased after having purchased it already in four other forms. <laughs> And hmm, what shall I select for you? What vintage? Is it like wine collectors or something? But just to just to have, uh, you know, a few kind of not great records. Uh huh. Not not records that are uh, going to say, "Oh, listen to me," uh, because of my excellence. It's like, oh, you know, some just some crap records.
0: Let's just play to some play records yeah. and listen to sure
1: while you're going around the house doing things.
0: That is it doesn't uh, take
1: up too much space in. And the personality doesn't take up too much space in the room. You got a little music. That's good.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, it's not my mo. I do have a. (laughs) I do have a. I do have. Well, it's not a huge shelf of records, but it's basically every record I've bought since I was fifteen. Yeah, I just never. I never got rid of anything. I don't think I've ever rebought on vinyl something I really liked. Maybe I have. There might be a couple of reissues I'm particularly sentimentally fond of and decided to to buy a new 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 remaster on vinyl. I don't happen to think vinyl sounds better than anything else. Um sounds different, I guess. Sounds but, different. But um but uh, just as a but as a way of supporting supporting the concept yeah. of records and the and the music the musicians that I like. Uh, But for the most part, I just, you know, occasionally I've gotten rid of some that I no longer listened to or liked. But for the most part, I've sort of, I don't trust my fickle changes of mind. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's stuff these days that uh, Stephanie in particular has kind of reminded me a lot about the music of my past. Her mom was a musician and sort of has a broad knowledge of the music of the 70s and 80s. -hmm. And uh, that was a lot of the music I there was ambient Mm -hmm. when I was growing up. That I kind of dismissed as you know, just sort of n- it was nostalgic for me. So I was inclined in my formative years to push it away, um, and now I'm remembering and realizing that I I'm really fond of a lot of that music, and I'm sort of going back to that. But if I had but if I had trusted the me of if I had trusted the me of the '90s. Yeah, it'd be gone. It'd be gone. Well, when nothing's yeah. gone but So you're talking you know. about like uh some
1: Joan Armatrading, some Anne Murray.
0: Uh, <laughs> actually I do like Joan Armatrading. Um Anne I, Mar- I love Joan Armatrading. Anne Murray not so much, but um but uh right now I've got um Joni Mitchell uh out John Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I, pu- I guess I, I subscribed to a, you know, a, uh, what do you call it, streaming service, uh-huh. and that has a lot of, you know, hits uh, of the 70s, hits of the 80s. Janice uh, h- Ian? Hits of 1975. The, the music that was on the radio in my mom's Volkswagen square back when Susie Quattro. In the summer, uh, she would take me on her errands. Mm-hmm. Waiting, waiting at the drive up window of the bank. Type mm-hmm. music, yeah. Yeah. Jim Croce. Mm. Uh, you know the kind. You know the kind of country crossover hits of the seventies. There's a lot of that. I love a rainy night. Yeah. for sure. Juice Newton. Juice Newton. A little John Denver. Mm-hmm. John Denver. in there. I've made a. I'm, I've made a country country playlist. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and uh, it's got a lot of those songs. Yeah. Year there. of the Cat. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's that? Al Stewart. Al Stewart, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Some solid stuff. My friend uh, Eric Henry down in Corvallis, who we've played music with for a long time. Mm-hmm. We we uh, um, Eric. Eric has has yeah. played pedal steel. Yep, on the, our podcast.
0: Yeah, I've, and of course when you when you mentioned one of the Eric. Uh, parentheses. Mick Henry's. Yeah. I get yeah, those
1: mixed up. But. Eric Henry, Eric McHenry.
0: But Henry is the one I know. Yeah,
1: we should know Eric McHenry too. He's well, quality.
0: I think I I think I internet know him or have encountered yeah. him. But uh,
1: former poet laureate of Kansas. Yeah, yeah. Taller than me.
0: Oh, really, Taller,
1: even yay than me. <laughs> yeah. Um, we uh, are trying to figure out. You know, we'd like to have a. a You know, some, uh, you know, play out a little bit, you know, since we live close to each other, you Mm -hmm. know, put together something. Um, But we all, you know, we play in our already, you know, bluegrass groups and other groups. Uh, We were thinking that a a couple of middle-aged guys doing some of the kind of uh, feminist divorce ballads of the (laughs) 70s (laughs) yeah, would be fun because we love them. Yeah, of course. You know, with these, these songs we're talking about, Janice Ian, Joan Arma Trading, um, and the like, uh, Helen Reddy. Uh, this is actually really rich songwriting, not too hard to play,
0: beautiful, um, great ha- harmonies. Helen um, Reddy. Um, you just, that just reminded me of a, uh, um, uh, Frank Zappa lyric. Oh, where's the lyric from? Honey, don't you want a man like me? Um. Th- oh, this th- this is a song. This song is a um, kind of a, a send up of various types of its era, which was the seventies. He was yeah. the he was the Playboy type. He smoked a pipe. His favorite phrase was "out of sight." He had an Irish setter. Uh, it was a singles bar a Tuesday night. The moon was dim. The band was tight. They did the bump together. What a splendid sight! Her teeth were white. The drinks were cheap. It was ladies' night. He was glad that he met her. She was an office girl. My name is Betty. Her favorite group was Helen Reddy. They discussed the weather. Hey, honey. Hey, don't you want a man like me? That's pretty good. Totally. Et Etc. Anyway, what Helen Reddy song did you cover?
1: Oh, we have, we've, uh, we've, it's been more theoretical.
0: <laughs> so you haven't actually, you haven't actually, yeah.
1: I, I'm fond of the Helen Reddy contributions to the Pete's Dragon soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be my candle on the water.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nice one. Mm-hmm. Good one. Uh, I'd like to do Janice Ian's Stars. That's what, that's sort of my dream. It's us doing. You know that song Stars, they come and go? I don't think so. Well that's something something on a blah da da, da 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 I'm going to the
0: I'm going to the Pete's Dragon thing here. Very nice. Is this the original Pete's Dragon? The original Pete's
1: Dragon. Yeah. yeah the remake was terrible. Oh no, really? Oh, it just, it's just is stupid. Um, and it's it's on the level of so the the it has no charm. It's scary. It's cruel. Um, the dragon looks terrible. Um, oh, man. And the story is really of the level of uh, like a Air Buddies, or like some like Hallmark movie about like a shaggy, a silly shaggy dog mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, learned, that's learned to love or something. Yeah, that's too bad. A cat that can't find its way home. And then only does because of a, uh, um, like a, a a stupid goat. <laughs> you know they just have a, they just have a random generator for these <laughs> for these
0: kinds of shows. I'm sure there's a bot. Yeah, I do love a random generator. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. My random uh, poetry idea generator is still online. If anybody's interested in it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever look at that?
1: Yeah, I haven't looked at it for a while. Do you have the? Is it on your J. Robert Lennon?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, oh, the, the, it doesn't really fit the screen anymore. I gotta go adjust it. Say nothing at all about fertility while pacing back and forth. Misremember tea accompanied by sound effects. Hypnotize (laughs) thirst as though on meth. Run a battery of tests on Beethoven's Third Symphony obnoxiously. Betray the Liberty Bell as though for a filmed documentary. It's pretty good. Yeah.
1: I was – I'm sending you something. We don't don't need to look at it right now. I was up in um, Seattle this week Mm -hmm. visiting my friend uh, who has been in the hospital for a few weeks. uh, And he's bouncing back. Oh, good. But had had just come back from his stay there. And uh, uh, friends were kind of coordinating to uh, sit around. You know, play video games with him, walk his dog, make pork chops, whatever needs done. Sure. And it was fun just to kind of stay at my friend's apartment for a couple couple days. Um, and there are many things that were fantastic about it. I got to go to Open Books. I saw
0: your saw a picture on uh, Instagram. What a great store that is!
1: It is great. It's great. I bought my friend Nick Twemlow's new book attributed to the Harrow painter. Um, and then I. I didn't buy because I low on funds. Although I just uh, some eBay money just rolled in.
0: Ooh! Um,
1: what you sell on I, eBay, Ed? I've been selling um, uh, shoes that I don't wear and sport coats that I don't wear.
0: Sure. Um, and
1: is, is, uh, there, is, some, is there is there books. more
0: is there more of a market for your castoffs than others because you are so tall <laughs> and have big feet?
1: Yeah, because it's nice stuff, and there's very specific sizes. Yeah, you know, like a fifteen, size fifteen shoe, and uh, you know, whatever, whatever dimension, and extra long, uh, sport coats that are that are nice that I bought for nothing years ago.
0: Sure.
1: Um, so so uh, so I'm gonna go back up, or oh, I'm gonna go back up next week, and I already I know what I'm gonna buy. So there's this um this uh, uh, Russian poet who teaches in America Polina Barskova Mm -hmm. um, who I've sort of been dimly aware of and then um, uh, like last week or so I uh, was like oh I don't know need to look at more I didn't realize that she did this uh, she's also an academic of Mm -hmm. contemporary Russian poetry and she's put together a couple of anthologies
0: and I uh, I see that Ilya Kaminsky is one of the translators I like him a lot
1: he is he is great yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't. I didn't even know that she lived in America and French teaches at Wesleyan or something. And she's our age, or a little younger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: She's younger. Um, and her dad. This is what the connection was. I was saying on Instagram. Well, why aren't there more translations of this Yevgeny Rain, This this older Russian poet Who's a contemporary of Joseph Brodsky's. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody said, "Oh, you know, well, his daughter lives in the states." And here's her name I' was like, "Well, I know that name um, and I've read some poems, and then uh it turns out to be really i, I what I'd read was good, well, oh, everything she's written is good. She's been yeah. publishing since she was twenty. she has a selected poems out, and she's you know born in seventy seven um, which is a bold move but uh, and they're all fantastic, and then she's also edited this anthology of of poets. Uh, who wrote during the Leningrad siege? Wow, like not about it, or <laughs> poets who survived it and wrote, but like were writing during At the, the siege. Time. Yeah, during well, the siege. Yeah, some you know who survived, some who didn't. Um, because Saint Leningrad, Saint Petersburg, it, was a literary city, and so there were a lot of writers there, a lot of poets, especially who who had been um, who weren't who what they didn't write, you know, documentary poetics. Like Anna Swear did, uh, which she did it later about the, the the uprising in the Warsaw Ghetto. But were like surrealist poets, you know, you know, far out poets um, who were processing what was going on around them through um, through a variety of, of modes and forms, but a lot of them, you know, strange and, and nightmarish. Um, but a sort of poetry that's already in the subconscious, sort of, you know, subconscious modernist poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, written in the midst of, of unimaginable um, suffering. And it's a magnificent anthology.
0: What's the name of the anthology?
1: It's, um I have it up. Uh, written in the Dark, Five Poets in the Siege of Leningrad, Put it in the news. And it is recent. Ugly Duckling Press published last year. Great. Uh, and there's one poet in particular in it who I'd never heard of, um, Gennady Gore. Gennady Gore. G O R. Um, and are I just must-read poems. I think.
0: Do you want to? You, you got one there? You want to read? You want to read one?
1: I don't have the Gennady Gore up.
0: You got the, you got the one of the
1: Barskova then. poems that yeah. I like very much. This it. is in the selected Summer Physiological Essays, Wanderers. And these are written in written in Russian. Um, was noticed by me, a madman who destroys Berkeley's snails. On his head a black towel. In his hands an enormous trident. He looks for snails in the gardens, by the fences. He catches them at each gate, jumps on their bodies. On the earth, there remains shells, liquid pieces. You ask that I write about our life. I write about our life. Strangely, it often becomes so elementary. In our village, where small animals live slowly and humans jump on them. <laughs> Our village is covered with unbearably green ropes. And with a superior stare, my two-year-old daughter observes her country through heat and moisture. She rides in her baby carriage under the tedious leadership of her grandmother. (laughs) And they need no one. As if they were alone on earth, two beautiful animals woven into the landscape of each other. They stand quietly over a snail which survived the Holocaust of the neighbor's foot. Here they are still, over a sign, like a hieroglyph that arrives to them. Nona bends down, Frosia with a lively little leg, beats her other lively little leg, hanging over the pebbles in the driveway. What do they see there? Tell me. What do they hear? And where do they walk together each morning? Ahead of all those who drive and cry and breathe and manufacture
0: all earth's news. Good stuff. Yeah, that's a really good good poem. Isn't that great? It's a really good poem.
1: The tedious leadership of her grandmother.
0: (laughs) Uh, This actually, not not to make a lateral move away from Russian poets... From In the Beaux Arts. Which I would love to talk more about if you like, but this poem is reminding me of a thing that you know teaching poetry this semester um, yeah. something I don't often do because um, I'm not usually assigned the intro to creative writing course, but I was this semester and I taught uh, I have to teach as much poetry as fiction um, and a lot of uh, a lot of I think a lot of our grad students um, especially the fiction writers, will Kind of just teach fiction because they don't feel qualified to teach poetry, and I don't really either. But um, uh, I didn't want to. Didn't want to fudge it. Uh, um, although I
1: can think of few things that require fewer credentials than teaching poetry. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of being unqualified to discuss poetry is is think it's a low bar, really.
0: Well, I feel like this class has. Um, Having to explain to myself and to my students what's wrong with their poems oh. uh, made me have to justify why I think something is wrong with their poems. Yeah, yeah. Or why, not that wrong with them exactly, but why they, how they could be improved, right? It's clear right. to me that they could be improved. It's clear to me that they could be improved on particular axes. Um, but it, I've never had to put that into words before, really. Or not for quite some time, anyway. I don't Is remember. it
1: very different than than uh, gently offering suggestions on fiction?
0: Uh, not really, and that was kind of the surprise to me. One of the, but the main thing, the thing I kept coming back to. Well, first of all, en- enjambment as a thing. You know, mm. like I think the most common. V- the most common sort of variety of boringness in a poem by someone who's never tried writing poems before is that every line is end stopped um unthinkingly like that's not right. deliberately
1: that's right that's true
0: um and just introducing the concept of you don't have to end a line with a stop, and that in fact, when you don't end it with a end stop that where you choose to break the line means something like this is this is that's the maybe the basic. The basic thing about poetry, maybe yeah. Yeah. so um and it was fun seeing them react to this advice, which once they realized that was a thing, they could see it in the poems that we were reading, and that they could inc- incorporate it into their own poems, and some of them were seen you know proved to be very deft at it, but the other thing is that the lines in this um the lines in this Barskova poem are grammatical, mm-hmm. right they're sentences fairly complex grammatical sentences that have been broken up in interesting ways and Mm -hmm. take surprising turns often at a, often at a line break. But it's still, if you were to put it into prose, it it would make grammatical sense as sentences. Of course, not every poem has to do that, but I think a poem that doesn't do that is reacting to the existence of the sentence. Whereas I think a lot of intro student poems, each line is just sort of a ungrammatical phrase, that some of it may be may refer to the speaker's actions, some of it may refer to, a, it may be a metaphor or a simile, it might be like a thing that the writer sees or remembers, but none of it is connected by grammar. Like the, the grammatical relation of each line to each other line or each element to each other element just isn't there. And it's another thing that they didn't, a lot of students don't even realize is a thing, like that you're, that the, the, the line's relationship to the sentence, essentially.
1: Which is everything, yeah. The, the tension between the line and the sentence mm-hmm. is most of the energy in poetry. comes from that. David Rivard has a great lecture. Exure is a combination of an, a lecture and an essay.
0: <laughs> Exure.
1: <Extra. laughs> about that which kind of crystallizes that but yeah a lot of the energy in poetry comes from the tension between the sentence and the line the sentence and grammar makes one kind of sense Mm -hmm. right a prose sense a logic sense Um, and the line is a a musical unit Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right the line is is uh, is is an artistic aesthetic unit and the 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 pull the tension between those is not just a tension between the the return button and punctuation, but a tension between one kind of thinking and another kind of thinking, mm-hmm. one kind of saying and mm-hmm. another kind of saying, between speech and music.
0: Yeah, and um, it turns out, I mean, some of my more clever students sort of picked up picked up on that pretty quickly—the fact that. This is a this is a way to have fun with writing, right? Is to to recognize the existence of these two of these two things and then to um, and then to play them off of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was it's exci- it's exciting to see students improve, I have to say. I haven't I was reluctant to teach intro to creative writing because I re- I really love the intermediate and advanced fiction mm-hmm. workshops um, and getting to talk to students on sort of a higher higher level. But man, it was really fun to see People who are just trying writing for a lark and actually enjoying it and getting better at it—it
1: mm-hmm. it is exciting. You can do it again next term.
0: Uh, no, no, probably not for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Teaching a teaching a freshman seminar though. Oh, what about what, uh, probably the topic? Probably the personal essay. There's a sort of over uh, umbrella rubric called true stories. Rubric, you might
1: try though. the exhort as a form the extra as a form yeah mm-hmm. it's sort of the personal extra that's a ted talk <laughs> the worst kind of talking there is
0: or uh, um, well if it's an extra then it's going to be an ed talk you should give an ed talk <laughs> about the extra
1: yeah a lot of things I should do Christmas is coming Hey, yeah, in
0: fact, look. Do that. Check it out. 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 Oh
1: my my laws. Look at <laughs> that. It's a it's a little white flocked uh, artificial no. yeah, tree. It's
0: a little Charlie Brown tree. It's sweet. And I've covered it with uh, ornaments of many vintages, some of them dating back to the 40s and 50s that my was passed down through my family. And every every ornament on this tree is different from every other ornament, and only I will notice, and only I will care.
1: Yeah, that's nice. We're hey. going to buy a tree today.
0: Do you? Which? What kind of tree do you favor? Do you do you like a do you like a fat and fluffy? Do you like a spare? Do you like a tall and skinny? Do you want to see a little little light through the branches, or do you want a big old big old big old furry furry blob?
1: Whatever the fisherman brings. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I like all of them. My main concern is uh, I want a kind of tree that the dog won't pull down with his powerful jaws. <laughs> uh, so maybe one that's very very sticky. One
0: that hasn't been that hasn't yeah. been chopped down. You mean one one that is still firmly implanted in the ground?
1: Yeah yeah yeah. If we could plant it in the house. <laughs> uh, I I uh I like it.
0: I suppose I like a fluffy tree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sure, a fluffy tree. Um, what what kind of lights do you favor?
1: On a on a a tree inside the house? Yeah, a multicolored lights. Multicolored, multicolored lights. Yeah. Outside the house, I like um, uh, the the bigger bulbs. Sure, I think that looks better. Although I've never really been able to get it to look lights to look good outside of a house. They always bear the uh they always show the process a little too much. Yeah. Oh, there's where he could reach. Yep, yep. Yeah. For sure. It it traces a it traces human movement through the yard. <laughs> rather than an implementation of the design.
0: So you you would rather you'd rather the lights look as as though they spontaneously grew there.
1: yeah yeah they're just vines that are extending from the cord jutting awkwardly and obviously out of what is now probably an unsecured window burglars (laughs) Mm -hmm. little air gets in bad time of year for that but do what you got to do yeah we'll do that today some light light decorating
0: A, this, our listeners can't see the look on your face, but that sentence sent you into a contemplative into a, fugue state. You
1: know, uh, into a, a miso soup. <laughs> I was looking out at the, Do um, uh, we have a bunch of warblers that have suddenly shown up yeah. on the bushes outside my window. Uh, and I am trying to uh, uh, discern what, what sort of warbler they were. Oh, okay. Did you come to a conclusion? No, in fact, I think they're they're solitary vieros, vieros, yeah. rather than warblers, because they're almost entirely gray. Uh, they don't seem very solitary. There's about fifty of them.
0: I keep thinking, I keep thinking, I one of these days I'm going to learn the names of birds and trees, and then I just I'm 47. I might never nope. do it.
1: You'll never know. Uh, Ostrich from a Cornish game hen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I had oh. a um, had a lovely human moment in a video game the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like I like video games. Yeah, but I don't usually like ones that involve combat. I don't like don't like doing a lot of killing in games. I like I like puzzles, uh, weird narratives, mm-hmm. things like that. But um, but I played The Last of Us, this zom- post-apocalyptic zombie game, which does involve a lot of killing, mostly of zombies, but some of regular humans. Um, and I surprised myself by liking it, despite being a little vexed by the amount of violence in it. But um, there's like a if you go into the settings, you, it says gore on or off, and I oh, oh no. switch, switch that off. checked off, yeah. yeah. So, um, but basically, what's the, platform. What's that? What platform? Uh, PlayStation 4. Oh. And, uh, basically, the plot is a, a man, middle aged man, and an adolescent girl are accompanying each other on this trek across post apocalyptic America for various reasons. And they're, despite the fact that she's parentless. And the fact that he lost a, a daughter her age 20 years before, they're emotionally distant from one another. And sometimes you usually play the guy. Sometimes you're playing the girl. Um, but they kind of like grudgingly help each other out um, as, they, as they cross the country. And they gradually come to be like a little family. They love each other. They don't want to admit it to each other because it's inconvenient and it's this sort of environment where they could die at any moment. So, but there's this one great bit where, and they don't acknowledge their affection for each other at all. There's one great bit where you have to get to the other side of this river, and the way you do it is over the lip of a dam. Yeah. But there's a complicated series of actions that both characters have to perform in order to get there, involving, like, diving under the water and dislodging, like, a pallet, and then the girl has to get on the, you have to push the girl on the pallet over to the other side, and then she jumps up and opens up a thing, And and once you finally do it, She's on the other side, and then you, you're playing the guy, uh, you get to go across and meet her. And it was this, it took about 20 minutes. It was not that long, like 10 minutes. But it was a, it was a very clever and a clever series of, of game actions that you just went through. And I thought, just as I was about to go over the, the dam, I wish I could high-five her. Because that's what would be appropriate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and damned if I wasn't halfway across the bridge when the kid on the other side raises her hand up in the air. And a little triangle symbol, which means it's the game's sort of interactivity no- notice. A uh-huh. little triangle appears, and if you hit the triangle on your game controller, you raise your hand and you just slap her five. And then you just continue with the game. But it was like, t- this is like ten hours into the game, Suddenly, you have this tiny, tiny, tiny little, little um, like expression of emotion, and it was I I like literally cheered. I was so delighted by it. Just a really nice touch, and this is not—you don't high-five people in this game. It's not like you can go around high-fiving people. It was a completely, it was a completely un, you know, uh, unexplored game mechanic.
1: But someone designer at like, that moment. Do you think that, yeah. that was the last thing added to the whole game?
0: <laughs> uh, who knows? But if they were playing it in
1: beta, and yeah. someone said, "You know, <laughs> you should high five her." You know
0: what? Maybe so.
1: Maybe yeah. so. Oh, we could work on that. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. That's a yeah. nice little moment.
0: Yeah. yeah. You yeah. have any? You have any nice moments lately, Ed? With with humans or or with computers? Hmm.
1: Not that I, I can think of, John. <laughs> Life is just combat here. Combat and despair. It was nice going up to Seattle. See, yeah, yeah. I saw my pals up there who I think are also pals of yours or acquaintances of yours. I got to go to my, uh, uh, my old Wednesday night at the Tin Hat, Spaghetti Wednesday. Oh, yeah. See, that's on old student, briefly, who's doing well, prospering.
0: Uh, is uh, is Hugo House back in action yet, or is that pending?
1: It is. It has not moved into its permanent headquarters, nor will it for another year or so. Um, but it is operating out of uh, an old rectory mm-hmm. downtown, and they're maintaining their classes and and having uh, sponsoring readings there and in other parts of town, and Raising money for for the, the move back in, which seems like it will happen and will be fantastic. It'll be different, good. But they've got a you know a design, and I haven't been by to see what process in the construction, but um, it'll be a, it'll be a wonderful resource. It won't be a kind of ramshackle, charming, shabby, you know, cold and hot building with peeling paint and. You know, the problem with the, old, I love that, and I wish it was still there. But a lot of, you know, the, the a lot of the resources that it was getting were just going to maintaining this old, you know, falling down ship of a building. Yeah. And so now it can actually, you know, it's a reasonable thing for it to do. But, but, embarking on, you know, inviting people to explore their curiosity in, in writing. Um, novels and poems and things is not a reasonable thing to do. So it will remain, in essence, shabby and ramshackle and shaky and and crumbling, um, even if the the rooms are nice. So that's good. And I think it's it's a it's a great thing. And Tree Swenson, who runs it, is just magnificent. And his his uh, uh, sort of saved what is good about. Its history and installing, uh, you know, a way for it yeah. to go. I wish we had something quite like it in, in Seattle. We have great things in Seattle the Attic Institute, Literary Arts. Um, you mean Portland? Wherever I live now <laughs> Belize, <laughs> uh, Patagonia, the Faroe Islands. Sure. Uh, Kerguelen. Mm. Uh, but, uh, Hugo House is very, very special. But between that and Open Books, I, I just, just a great place to be.
0: Yeah. You seem to miss it.
1: I miss it. I miss it's uh, um. It feels like home. I don't know. I've lived so many places, uh, but many of those have been Seattle at different times in my life. That it, it feels uh, feels more like home than Topeka, probably. I've more more friends from my youth who live there than than in Kansas. Um, but it's only three hours away. It's nice. I just hadn't been up there for six or seven months.
0: So I bought a bought an amplifier the other day.
1: Is it a Crate Orange?
0: Oh, it's a Fender. Fender. I had sold I had sold most of my most of my gear uh, for mm-hmm. this sort of, sort of. More subdued uh, interval in my life, oh. um, but I've got the opportunity. I met a guy, um, met a guy, uh, local guy, moved to town recently as a writer. Um, we got, to, you know, went out for coffee, got to talking, learned he was a bass player. And then I suddenly r- remembered that uh, I wanted to get back together with a drummer of the Story Mountain band who still lives in town, and uh-huh. I said, "Oh, we should jam." And so we're gonna we're planning to do something like that. Um, and I realized that this, I, I just want I would just like to play some live music again, even if it's very very informally. Um, so I had I didn't have a didn't have a guitar amplifier. So I, got a little Fender Blues Junior. You didn't have, you did, you didn't have hmm? any amplifier.
1: No, you had no amplifier.
0: I had no amplifier. <laughs> I was w- without an amplifier. Well, no, that's not true. I have um, one. I have an old supro amp from the like a like a lap steel amp from the forties. Okay. Um but it's not not very loud. Uh probably couldn't
1: it's how it's, many amplifiers did you own when you owned the most amplifiers that you possessed?
0: In the heyday in the heyday of um Starry Mountain Band, mm-hmm. I had the this, this the little Supro. Yeah. Um I had four That I used with the band, I had a uh, Fender Deluxe Reverb. Yeah. Um, For the keyboards, I had a a Roland Jazz Chorus. Yeah. And then for bass, I had a little mini bass stack called uh, the, the Lab by Lab Series. Lab Series was this collaboration between Gibson and Moog in the 80s. 90s, 80s or 90s. Uh, Moog designed the EQ and the compression or something like that. It was, it was mm-hmm. a great base uh, base stack, but um, but when I moved, I just didn't have room for that stuff anymore. So that was the most four. I had four yeah. amps, four amplifiers. If you
1: steal my idea of uh, covering uh, divorce ballads, feminist divorce ballads of the 70s, mm-hmm. I will be
0: delighted. You want you want me to steal? You don't want to do it yourself. You want me to? I do want it? to do myself.
1: I want there to be uh, as many bands of this genre. I want it to become a genre with like its own magazine. Uh, you like no depression? It's just called depression. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you send me send me a playlist? Okay. Write, jot down a bunch of songs, and uh, I was planning on writing. I'm not going to meet with meet up with these guys because we're all middle aged men, the, yeah. With jobs jobs issues job issues, yeah. Um, we're probably not going to actually do this until the first week of January. So I was going to write a couple of songs um, between now and then, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll just learn a couple of a couple of Helen Reddy and Joan Armour trading tracks. Are
1: you a Are you a Spotify user?
0: uh i'm apple music apple music i mean it's i guess equivalent but i don't think you can swap playlists no but uh, if i write you a list of things i can make a playlist out of them yes make a playlist out of that very good i can play that list
1: oh dj yeah,
0: yeah i i like i like that idea i like that idea yeah. that's good music I had a great, great moment of synergy on just um, letting my phone shuffle songs Mm -hmm. um, a couple of months ago. Uh, In succession, uh, two songs played. Dolly Parton's, uh, what's the title? Why why You you Come In Here Looking Like That? Is that the name of it? That's the lyric. (laughs) Yeah. And then after that. Something,
1: something, 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 cowboy hat.
0: Yeah, um, no <laughs> cowboy hat. I don't know. Um, painted on jeans. She doesn't. She not rhyme that. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm looking this up. I'm looking this up because I can't remember who did it. And the song after it was uh honky tonk. Trace Adkins, honky tonk, badonkadonk, honky tonk, badonkadonk. Both are but appreciation tracks. Uh-huh. And the phone seemed to know that um both both sides of the the uh the former gender binary. Yeah. A woman admiring the butt of a man and then the and then a man admiring the butt of a woman. Uh and my phone seemed to think that I wanted to hear this in the parking <laughs> was, lot of the oh. <laughs> of the of the state park.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well <laughs> it might it might have been geolocated for that also. I really don't know. I, I these these things are very advanced, very advanced algorithms. Yeah. The, did you go out and buy some Wranglers afterwards?
0: No, I'm i a, I'm a Levi's man. Well, Wrangler butts drive me nuts. <laughs> Who says
1: that? That was the that was their advertising slogan.
0: Oh wow! I didn't 70s know that.
1: Eighties Wrangler butts drive me nuts. Wow. I did not know that that was a thing. I'm now not sure whether that was their official slogan.
0: (laughs) It was a thing people said, though. I think.
1: Let's see. I think it was an official slogan of the Wrangler Jeans Company.
0: It does not seem to me. Whoa. Sorry, the screen dimmed. Um, It it seems like wow a lot of people have used that <laughs> a lot of people have used this phrase. There's um a license plate frame, yeah. Of it, uh, there's bumper stickers. Uh, there's songs. Um, there's a quote from Cindy Gerard from "Whisper No Lies." I don't even know. I guess that's a book. Yeah, it's just Cindy Gerard quotes. Quotable quote <laughs> Wrangler butts drive me nuts. Cindy Cindy Gerard. I saw a good bumper sticker.
1: Is uh God was my co pilot, but we crashed in the mountains and I had to eat him. <laughs> What's where's that from? I share that to you. Yes, please. I was on a car outside of my friend Shane's apartment, by the zoo. God was my co-pilot, and there's a little picture of the biplane. But we crashed into the mountains, and I had to eat him. Sure. Sure.
0: Hmm. Better better than fennel.
1: Tis, tis the season. So, <laughs> uh, the bass player in my uh, bluegrass band, the Hill Williams, yeah, um, older gentleman. Who resembles Santa, and makes uh, makes a living this time of year as as a Santa? Oh, uh, and he was he's he looks a lot like Santa, but he ain't no Santa. <laughs> I'll tell you that about Ray. Ray.
0: Ray no Santa. Ray ain't no saint. He ain't no Santa, he Santa, and he ain't no saint. All right, let's let's see what you sent me. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. didn't mention that the bumper sticker, the God was my co-pilot bumper sticker is in Comic Sans.
1: It is in Comic Sans, yeah. 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 Because it's funny. Yeah, it is funny. It's how you know.
0: It's how you know it's, it's funny. funny. Yeah. Yeah. How how are you gonna know if something's <coughs> funny is what I wanna know.
1: I mean if it's in if it's in Garamond bolt, nothing nothing is funny in Garamond. <laughs> no no trebuchet
0: Now you know, you know typeface what for jokes no is that a typeface mm-hmm. or is there something that just is like that Tre- yeah really that microsoft that microsoft uh typeface really is called trebuchet it never occurred to me that that was a weird name for a font but it is why? Yeah. Why name a font after a trebuchet? I don't know. Oh, here. Well, here. The name was inspired by a puzzle question that Conair, this is the Vincent Conair is the, um, or Kanar is the uh, designer. The name was inspired by a puzzle question that Kanar heard at Microsoft headquarters. Can you make a trebuchet that could launch a person from main campus to the new consumer campus about a mile away? Mathematically, is it possible and how? On our, quote, thought that would be a great name for a font that launches words across the internet. Unquote.
1: I worked on that consumer campus.
0: Is that the one where where you um is that the one where you found the, the rotting spaghetti? Yeah.
1: You know the most chilling thing I've ever seen in my entire life.
0: Why don't you retell I'm sure that is on a very early episode of this podcast, but you should retell that story because it that it ha- that has um that story has lodged in my memory so powerfully that it feels like i actually experienced it
1: well it was terrifying so i worked at microsoft for about a year and a half at their red west campus which is where they hired they they built suddenly because they they didn't have they weren't in the internet mm-hmm. and it was 94 95 and they realized that uh, maybe this thing was going to stick around and have some relationship to the computer industry and so so they built this campus that was a little much smaller than the main microsoft campus cozier looks like a college campus has a little water feature running through it there's some ducks there's a big food hall it looks like a ski lodge and uh, they just bought internet companies from all over the world you know little little things and set them up there um out of this came uh, i think the only thing that really survived is expedia but at the time it was it was actually quite heady there were a lot of a lot of uh a lot of Things happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I worked at a trip planning software uh, thing called called Trip Planner that was not a very good product. Mapping software was was okay, but not what other, up to what other people were doing. It could have been, but Microsoft didn't really want to. Um, didn't really seem to want to succeed. It wanted to enter the internet, but did not want to succeed to the un, point un, that they, Unlike
0: with Skype, which just gets better and better with every oh, it sure it passing does year.
1: To the point that um, they wanted, you know, they were trying to make internet products, but they still really were pushing (laughs) CD-ROM. So you'd have to buy the CD-ROM and then it would have links to the internet. (laughs) So that was a big, that was a real successful strategy. (laughs) That was really good. That worked, that bore out over time. But you know Mm -hmm. what? They still, they were still making, you know, $5 billion a year without lifting their finger. So what do they care, you know? So in our building was, was that, a uh, thing called Mungo Park, which was a travel program, a travel website that Expedia ended up growing out of, like some little tiny part of what Mungo Park was. And uh, uh, the, they bought Collier's Encyclopedia and turned it into Encarta. That oh. was on the second floor.
0: Sure.
1: And Slate was, I don't remember, Slate was in the same building or next door, but Michael Kinsley was there running Slate. One of the Gore daughters— was working for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Gore, uh, Gore, the vice Al president, Gore. not Gore, the Russian poet. No, not
1: right. right. Gore Vidal, Canadian Gore, Al Gore, Karina yeah. Gore. Gore settings on and off.
0: Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very, very gory episode, but go on. Yeah. The, um, you
1: got you know free soda, free coffee. Um, you know, the building was open all night, kinda of flexible hours. I ran a you know, monster my little poetry broadside using office supplies when nobody was looking. They had 'cause they had infinite reams of eleven by seventeen paper, mm-hmm. which is just it's like having your own letterpress. <laughs> um and one day I was walking past, it was a Monday after a holiday, or maybe there there had been an ice storm. There had been some interruption in things. Um, And I was walking past a conference room, um, and I I looked in, and clearly there had been a a plan for a meeting, a lunch meeting or a dinner meeting, Um, and food services had brought in... uh, uh, serving trays of of some pasta, pasta sauce, Caesar salad, and you know plates and things, and uh, one of those big metal saucers with you put ice in it, and then mm-hmm. you put drinks in that, um, and it had um, maybe all weekend or or longer had just sat in there. The meeting oh. the meeting had had never happened,
0: probably because of uh, the ice storm,
1: or whatever, or just meetings. Somebody called it and made all these plans and died or forgot or was fired. Sure. Or, um, you know, the, the place, it looked more or less like a regular office, except that you'd walk into one of these buildings and there would be a, like a Francis Bacon painting on the wall. Because the gates, you know, the, Microsoft is a big collector of art. So it's sort of how you could tell the, the actual intensity of what was going on in that building by how many millions of dollars the entry art was so this whole thing could have been like a like a mike kelly installation or something i don't really know it, it was so it was so effective it was more affecting to me as a visual object than any visual art as has ever like maybe like a damien hearst shark in multiple tanks <laughs> level or or a uh, the, the Stendhal stenthal syndrome you know mm-hmm. the guy sees the vermeer and drops you know drops dead not really what happens, but um, so I look in there and you know, so it's been days. it's not so long that it's moldy, but everything's just sort of settled in. you know so the the uh, the spaghetti has the pasta or whatever kind is has slumped. The unlit sterno cans underneath are mm-hmm. never ignited. Um, the 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 red sauce, the marinara sauce had had faltered in some way and and sort of cracked. Um and it, it discolored it didn't smell which was even more disturbing because there was definitely a room full of decay yeah you know, the, the, the sterility of the place was so extreme that it it, it was like it was in a vacuum um, and the, the the Caesar salad was worst of all the croutons like ghost ships on top of it sort of listing you know from their original position. never seen anything anything so chilling I think I might have just gone home I might not have ever gone back to work after that <laughs> my free diet coke had left
0: are you hungry for lunch well then let's have lunch do you want some lunch well then we'll give you some lunch do you have a hanker for lunch well then come to it's time for lunch box with Ed and John. That's right, it's time for lunch box with Ed and John.